Thank you for tuning in to Georgia College Connections and WRGC 88.3 FM. On Clark Street in downtown Milledgeville, Georgia College's Macintosh House stands in direct opposition to Georgia's old governor's mansion. Whereas the landmark example of Greek Revival architecture sits prominently as the sole feature on its side of the block, the Macintosh House is crowded between four other historic structures, each vying for your attention with their clearly delineated architectural styles and ornamentation. With its seven-ranked facade and a full-height entry porch, the old governor's mansion is the embodiment of symmetry and architectural refinement. Across the street, the Macintosh House is literally two drastically different houses lashed together by a breezeway with just a passing concern for matching materiality and aesthetic sensibility. It is, by definition, vernacular. So it might surprise you that the Georgia Trust for Historic Preservation recently recognized Georgia College in the Macintosh House with an Award for Excellence in Preservation. In an April award ceremony, Georgia Trust President Mark C. McDonald said, This year's winners represent a tremendous dedication to restoring and revitalizing Georgia's historic buildings and communities. On this edition of Georgia College Connections, I met with Georgia College University architect Michael Rickenbaker on the 100 block of South Clark Street in downtown Milledgeville to talk about the Macintosh House, how Georgia College went about preserving it, and his thoughts on the university's role in preserving a sense of place. Michael Rickenbaker, thank you for joining me for this conversation on Georgia College Connections. Well, thank you for inviting me to join you. Well, um, as uh, many of our radio audience probably can't tell yet, but hopefully they will throughout the course of our conversation, uh, we're actually doing this interview out in the field. And so as we're here talking about the awarding of a preservation recognition for the Macintosh House, here we are right outside the Macintosh House. And of course, this is radio, so our audience can't see what we're seeing. So I thought I'd, I'd just start the conversation off. Uh, Michael. We're at the Macintosh House. Can you, can you kind of describe this house for our audience? It's a very unique structure. We know that it, as best we can tell that the earliest and, and oldest section of the building was constructed in early 1800s, 1812, 1815. We're not certain about the exact date. Our university historian, Bob Wilson, Dr. Bob, has been working really hard to try to nail it down, but the best we can sort of troubleshoot where it really started is what looks like 1815, something like that. And that's only a very small portion of the house. The house was built, as best we can tell, in very many sections. At one point, this section on the far right as we stand at the governor's mansion and look across at it, the far right is the oldest section. That section actually was built in two sections. There was like what called, what's called a dog trot. You could actually see one between the two sort of major sides of the building currently, but there was also one that ran behind this section on the right that separated what was, we believe, a kitchen at some point. In the early buildings, you know, they had the kitchen or cooking areas were separated from the rest of the house in the event of a fire. You didn't lose the whole house, you only lost the kitchen. But we could go around the building and show you how it was incrementally added on to over the years. As best we can tell, it may have had eight different 
iterations. And we can't really tell how these pieces were added, but we can pretty much sort out that this was added or that was added. So it's an interesting building in that it was very much sectional and very much added on for a number of times. And the other thing that's exciting about it and interesting about it is it's really two buildings, but there really is no connection between what's on the right-hand side and what's on the left-hand side. The section on the left-hand side, the exciting thing about it, an interesting thing about it, is we, we like to point out that we think that it was directly influenced by the establishment of Georgia College in our earliest namesake. And I, I forget all the various names we've had, but when the college was established, its first building was the mansion. And so the old governor's mansion was actually all of the college for a number of years before we started adding buildings to the campus. So when it was established, the owner of this property built a store, which is the section that is actually in direct alignment with the front door of the mansion, as best we can tell, in response to the fact that the college was being established here. So it was kind of an early convenience store, if that would be appropriate. So the entrance was almost like an advertisement to those who were coming out of the <laughs> governor's mansion or the main building. I'm not sure we would call Old Main because, of course, there was the Old yes. Main there, but the main and only building for the Georgia, I guess at that time, normal and industrial college. As we're talking about this, one thing that I may have missed as, you know, of course, as I was checking the settings on my recorder and things, was the right side of this a residence at one point? As best we can tell, that section of the building through most of its life was residential. Mm -hmm. And in fact, much of the rest of the building, after the brief history of the store, we really don't know how long it, it lived or how long it was that function. But we do understand that shortly after that, it continued to be residential throughout. There was a time, and I think there are people who have been affiliated with the campus over the years who lived here when they were in college. There was a period when this was, because of the fact that it was really separated, there is a stair, the interior stair on the right-hand section of the building, so you can get to two stories from that one, but there's an exterior stair on the left-hand side of the building so the second floor is not accessible to the first floor. You have to go outside to go up a stair to get to the second level. So it's almost like three different spaces. And we think there were times when it was probably treated like three different apartments. One of the things that's also very striking to me about this house in relations with the buildings that are around it is it's so incredibly plain to an extent. I mean, when you look at, I guess it's uh, Blackbridge Hall right next to it, uh, which I find to be one of the more visually stimulating houses on this block. Of course, right across from a landmark uh, American architecture, which is the executive mansion. How did this plain house survive? for so long on uh, this you know, kind of, shall we say, valuable real estate here on this prominent intersection of Millersville. That would be an interesting story if we knew the real answer. We do understand that it has remained occupied all these years, that it wasn't ever a long period that we're aware of that it didn't have people living in it. So I think it's always been occupied. It was always owned by someone. And I think it became probably pretty invaluable opportunities for student housing 
early in its lifetime or in the period after Georgia College was established. And I would think that was one of the factors that has kept it here. There's debate as to whether the significance of the McIntosh House, the name itself, we can't just pinpoint exactly what that history is. I'm, again, Dr. Bob Wilson's been wrestling with it and trying to get a conclusion, but there's not really anything conclusive about how it attained its name. It's unique enough that people realized it had value. I, I will tell you there are people who have told us when the decision was made to put this project, this house, which was part of the art department, and Mayfair, which is two houses over, if you, when we put those two together and created a capital project to get those renovated, there were a number of people who said, you're really not gonna renovate Macintosh, right? Why don't you just run a bulldozer through it? So we had to point out that it was the oldest building on the Georgia College campus. That was not a good idea. I like to say, try to convince yourself that a bad idea is a good idea is a bad idea. And that's actually, I'm quoting a cowboy laureate, and it wasn't the usual, it wasn't Will Rogers, I can't even remember his name, but hearing that, I, that stuck with me. So we basically said, you just can't tear down what is probably the oldest standing building at Georgia College. Um, and it works out nicely um, because of its sort of residential scale it converts well into office space. So we're actually able to just preserve it. It was, doesn't present to us major challenges that you, we have in some of our other buildings where we're actually trying to reconfigure them. But in this case, we could use the spaces that were historically residential spaces and make them convert rather easily into office space. It's gonna be useful square footage for the campus and useful office space for another hundred years and probably well beyond that because you know, really once you preserve these buildings, yes, in another hundred years they'll need to be renovated again, but if, if we do like the Europeans have done for, for centuries, we would then renovate again and continue to preserve these ancient, and in our case, they're kind of young buildings compared to Europe. European standards, but you could continue to keep them and preserve them. You're listening to a conversation with Georgia College University architect Michael Rickenbaker about the McIntosh House, which recently won an award for excellence in historic preservation from the Georgia Trust for Historic Preservation. You can see pictures of the McIntosh House on WRGC's Facebook page. And we'll return to this conversation about history, architecture, and preserving a sense of place in just a moment.
return now to a conversation with Georgia College University architect Michael Rickenbaker about the Macintosh House, which recently won an award for excellence from the Georgia Trust for Historic Preservation. So you just talked about some of the many lives of this building. I was wondering if you could start walking us through the challenge of preserving this, how you would interpret that history into the design for this phase of its existence. One of the things that we look at in all the projects that we work on, even the ones that require more attention in terms of transitioning or adaptive reuse is what we'll call that, and we'll come back to that in a little while, but when you have these buildings like this one, you can see that it's listing to port. I mean, it's literally leading. It's not going anywhere, but over time, it's sort of settled one direction. We've leveled the floors and made it useful space, which is good, but we didn't try to move the building because it was, sometimes it's problematic to do that. <laughs> so the challenges with, with these buildings are basically trying to make them as useful as possible. Making them accessible, that's always a challenge. And we were able, actually able to get access from the walkway to the first level for anybody who may have challenges in terms of mobility. So we were actually able, and it was a tough challenge because we were, we were looking at all these various options of ramps and we came up with one that was, when we were in the field working with the contractor working with the architects, working with our project manager, we realized that there was a way to make it accessible that didn't require excessive ramps. And, and on one side, we actually were looking at the left-hand side of the building, but this huge oak that is an incredibly good shape for its age. And we were looking at a ramp over here and we said, there is no way we're gonna do that. That could potentially cause stress on a tree that we would want to do everything possible in our, within our abilities to keep it alive. And it has enough challenges without us digging up around its root system in order to put in a ramp. Our architects, Dunwoody Beelan out of Macon, were really very talented in terms of working with historic properties. This project was two buildings. So they literally were doing two different projects at the same time. One being Mayfair Hall, which is now our visitor center and our uh, enrollment management center, and then and Macintosh House, which becomes general use offices. It, our honors department is in here. Our graduate school is here. We have some grant space on the upper levels and our scholarship office is here. So there's this building works well for that, but there are just the challenges of trying to keep the building standing. We had an interesting discovery just about every day as we were working on it. And it was a standing joke is that we had several places where we believe the termites were using power tools. We had these beams that looked perfectly hole and it, they actually sounded appropriately and then but we might take a board off the top and discover that it was almost hollow the top portion of the beam we had a lot of sort of structural repair that had to be done 
to keep the floors in place. That's the challenge in all of our buildings uh, is finding out what are the areas that are needing reinforcement or, or reconstruction. So we actually do a certain amount of reconstruction of the structure in order to be able to keep the building standing. And so in that sense, is it kind of like you're taking care of your hierarchy of need? Talking about structural integrity of the building. And then, you know, is there a point where you get to become more creative in the way that you're looking at the project? And I think about that in this way, because when you think about this house, do you suppose that there was initially an architect putting this together or a person who was just building their shelter and was putting it together in, uh, I guess as they say, more of a vernacular style. I would say this one is absolutely vernacular. What we're working with here really is a building that was built as shelter. In our discussions back and forth with our historian, I mean, Dr. Bob said, feels like there is even the possibility that may have moved the original house from another location to this location. So again, we can't validate that, but he's still looking into whether or not we can find records to support that. But there is some suspicion that that may have happened because there's actually a well underneath the house that is no longer a well, but was basically filled in. So there's some suspicion that that was on the site before the building was moved into place. Could have been. So a lot of what we know about the building is either anecdotally or in some cases it's just our hunch or, and then just trying to explore the building going underneath. I have not been there throughout the entire house. I have been under a large portion of it to just look up and to try to figure out how the various pieces went together and you can actually see where at one point that was the end of the building and you can see where they added on. You can see places where it was kind of hanging on a hope and a prayer and we actually had to go back underneath and, and say, woo, this, no wonder it's kind of... Because of the rigors of time or because of the way that it was constructed? The way it was constructed. We dis mm. We've discovered there were probably shortcuts that were done in the 1800s, that's not to any particular time in history that someone might have fixed something in a way that it was probably not the most structural. You're listening to a conversation with Georgia College University architect Michael Rickenbaker about the McIntosh House, which recently won an award for excellence in historic preservation from the Georgia Trust for Historic Preservation. You can see pictures of the McIntosh House on WRGC's Facebook page. And we'll return to this conversation about history, architecture, and preserving a sense of place in just a moment. as an architect and with your background and training, I mean, what are you experiencing as you go through one of these projects? Are, are you appreciating or are you learning? Or are you uh, simply aghast at uh, <laughs> things that are going on? It's educational. 
it's fun. I love old buildings, so I kind of love to see how they came together. This building, it, just because of the fact that it was done in so many different pieces, it's kind of a delight to kind of walk around it and point out to people because you can walk to a place where it's a solid wall, but you'll see that the siding and it's lapboard siding all around, you'll see that there's a place where it looks like there used to be a corner bead because it used to be a corner bead. That's kind of the piece that goes at the corner. Every time you come to a corner in a building, particularly with lapboard siding, you've got some kind of a board trim that closes off the end of it. What you'll find it, if you walk through the dog trot between the left and right hand sides of the building, you'll find one that just has lapboard siding that continues. So we know that was the end of the building at one point. And also the lab board does not line up. It's off just a little bit. So you can clearly tell that it's not the same building. And at some point at that edge of the building, they added on. And then they added on a porch, and then they added on, on this side. So it's, it's been a great sort of culmination of, or collection of individuals who we're probably trying their hand at carpentry. <laughs> I'm not saying that it's what they call it, a, you know, a weekend special, but I, I would say that some of what happened here was, was of that variety of construction. So we had to make sure that, of course, it's gonna stand and withstand years of use by, you know, as, as office facilities. The good news is office facilities tend to not be hard on buildings. So it's probably a good use and a good reuse of a building that is mostly residential for it to become office. And you'll notice that with most of our, as we walk down or around the street, you'll see that most of the uses that we have reinvented for the houses, the, the more residential pieces of our architecture have been turned into office space because the, the buildings can handle that level of, of use. Why do you think that the work that was done on the Macintosh House won this Excellence in Preservation Award? What are some of the aspects that you think that rose it to the level of the statewide recognition for the work done here? It had really good roots. It had had a rough life because it's last, so the last years leading up to this renovation, it was an art building. And so it had it had dark rooms that had been kind of shaped into it or more like more like forced into it it had like shop areas so it had had some rough times because those kinds of lab spaces are really hard on a building and so i think a lot of the before and after imagery of where the floors were painted and the walls really just were like sort of spattered with paint and not just not graffiti but sort of more artistic expression and what they got to see was that we in places were able to find that what was on top of what was actually beadboard beaded board siding that was original we could tear off what was on that had been put up on top of it we were able to take that away and expose it again and it was genuinely a beautiful building and that the floors were all refinished so I think in part for the age of the building and the university actually appreciated it and actually actually did restore it 
is one of the factors, but also just being able to see the befores and after photographs and just to see how lovely this space still is. It's kind of hidden with sort of its past lives. <laughs> of course, this is an admissions building, so this welcomes a bunch of people who this may be their first experience of our campus. When people may come and experience the Macintosh House, what are some of the things that, uh, detailings of the interior or exterior, that you would like them to notice or maybe appreciate? I think some of the features will be the old fireplaces. They're not functional. We're not going to be building fires in there, but we maintain them as a major element. It really is a character-defining element of a building, and so that's one of the things that we're always looking for. What would be considered by the Department of the Interior, using their guidelines, what would be a character-defining element? And then that should be preserved. Okay, so although you could take them out and end up with a little bit more square footage and maybe even an easier space to arrange, we would definitely keep them and make them a part of the ambiance. Just refinishing the floors, it's real simple to just go in and just put down glue and put carpet down. But that's not really what we like to do if it's reusable. And in this case, most of the floors were reusable we wanted to use them, and so we refinished them, and they're really rather beautiful. So when you walk in, I, I like people to look down, but I also like them to look up because we also had the lovely original ceilings. Once we were able to clean up the building, it just some of the siding, certainly some of the walls have have beadboard siding as well. But it's just it's just old wood, and it's beautiful, and and we've preserved it and reused it. We make a big deal of the fact that we think it's really important that we are reusing our older buildings and because we feel like it's, they're a lot better being reused than put in a landfill. It's really an important part. We think that, again, it's part of our sustainability is not just that we are making the buildings more energy efficient, which we are, but that we're also keeping them. I think it's kind of like the most sustainable building is the one you already have. That's a quote that's often uh, attributed to National Trust for Historic Preservation. And I think it's, a, it's appropriate, particularly in this building. I mean, we really did have a meeting where a number of people said, wouldn't it just be better if we just tore that thing down? And couldn't we just put a parking lot there? And I'm gonna say that as we walk up and down the street, that would have been a travesty, that would have been that would have been a lost opportunity. And I also think that's one of the reasons it was recognized, is that for a lot of individuals, it would have been so much easier for us just to take advantage of these existing drives and just flatten this thing and put in 16, 20 parking spaces. But it would have been a, like a missing tooth along the streetscape, and particularly right across the street from the old governor's mansion. It would be, in my opinion, just wrong. <laughs> to be blunt. It would have been really sad to see that happen. I think it's just a lot of character that I appreciate in the fact that this is a genuinely very old building. And even though it does kind of lean a little bit. <laughs> and people really need to come out and look at it because it's really obvious. You know, I gotta stand and look through the dog trot and you can just see that, that baby's just coming over and there was a lot of talk about whether or not we ought to 
try to push it back to plumb and so we leveled the floors and got it stable and we left it alone in that respect it just um, it, it earned that that lead You're listening to a conversation with Georgia College University architect Michael Rickenbaker about the Macintosh House, which recently won an award for excellence from the Georgia Trust for Historic Preservation. You can see pictures of the Macintosh House on WRGC's Facebook page. And we'll return to this conversation about history, architecture, and preserving a sense of place in just a moment. Turn now to a conversation with Georgia College University architect Michael Rickenbaker about the Macintosh House, which recently won an award for excellence from the Georgia Trust for Historic Preservation. Well, of course, in a sense, you know, you just told a story about the history of this house, the history of this street and its relationship to the university. How do you try to value that in the work you do? as an architect. How does that almost kind of storytelling of place work into your work? Well, it's part of what we do. And architecture does tell a story. You can walk around and talk about all the buildings on our campus. Some of them have a, a longer story to tell because of their age, because we have a lot of buildings that are in that hundred, over a hundred year old or at least 75 year old era so we have a lot of really old buildings and so they have great stories to tell that you can understand by studying the buildings and just walking around and getting a good feel for what they are but even our more modern buildings have great and interesting stories i mean we can look at probably one of the what i would have considered one of the ugliest buildings on the campus when it was first built the maxwell student union if you if you go to the, the library's collection of photographs and postcards. They actually have a postcard. So they were so proud of this building. Had no windows and this huge ramp and it was, it was brutal, a very brutal architecture. From, that, from the period of brutalism, it was, it was one of the best at being one of the worst. It has served the university well, you know, but the university was actually able to, over time, they, they took efforts and a number of additions were added onto the building that basically made it fit and made it more contextual. And so there's really very little of the original building that you can actually see. And the portion that was left was a portion that actually is probably the more attractive uh, elements of the building. So they all have a story and it's part of the fun of working on a campus is trying to understand the story. Some of it you can get real information and you can actually know the history but sometimes it's a little bit conjecture you have to sort of guess how did this happen or what are some of the reasons it may have happened there are a lot of people that will tell you that chapel hall which is one of our mid-centuries but it's a beautiful mid-century 
but everybody loved to hate it. And they, there were a number of people who said they were really sad the day it turned 50 because that meant we couldn't tear it down. And I said, it's, you have to go, it's one, another thing to go back and look at the buildings that were torn down for the buildings that were built there. There was a really incredibly beautiful neoclassical building that was Chapel Hall. That was the Chapel Hall before it was torn down. And in, it, in the 60s, when it was torn down because it was old and ugly. I always like to caution people that say, we should tear down Chapel Hall because it's old and it's ugly. To say that, that we would be repeating the mistake that was made in the 60s that led to its construction and the destruction of the building that was there before. Absolutely, in fact, that's what I tell people is what is great about Chapel is that it is a contextual building. They actually studied the buildings around it and, and made a building in the vernacular of the 60s that actually acknowledged the architecture around it. So it was really designed in a way that made it fit. And I say it's worth keeping and for its own contribution to the campus. What changes about our appreciation of the past in terms of architecture. Like as you said, the original Chapel Hall at the time of its destruction was old and ugly. And I imagine that they were very proud of the chapel that is now standing. They were very proud of it when it was constructed. And now, as you said, 50 years later, they were people chomping at the bit to try to tear it down. I've always been told it skips a generation so that <laughs> One generation, if you, if you ride it out long enough, if you, keep them, uh, if you keep the buildings long enough, there is a generation that will come along and appreciate it. So during that era when so much of the neoclassical buildings in the country were being torn down because they were old and ugly, we, uh, the ones that survived survived to the generation that said these are incredibly beautiful but these things that were built in the 60s, they're old and ugly. And we're just about to get to a point where people are starting to look at mid-centuries and going, these are really interesting and beautiful buildings in and of themselves. So we're now having a generation, sort of a series of generations that are coming on board to say, we need to preserve these. Let's not tear down everything that was built during the 60s and 70s. There are a lot of them that I think are deserving of the bulldozer, but I think there are a lot of them that are really deserving, Chapel Hall being one, deserving of being protected and, and appreciated for the era and time when they were built. They have a story to tell, they have a history. They came during a period, sometimes a challenging one because a lot of it was about buildings as machines and buildings as being ex incredibly efficient. The great thing about Chapel Hall is it's, it's not as brutally efficient as a lot of buildings, so it does have some character. And it has been preserved. It has, it is one of the mid-centuries that has the interior courtyard that has not been cannibalized. Most of them in their history, at some point someone says, hey, all we need to do is put in a floor and a roof and look at all that square footage we can add to the building. So you'll find most of the buildings, most of the mid-centuries that had those little courtyards, they're no longer there. They are now some kind of office or another space that's they've basically uh, turned it into interior space. So they thought it was inexpensive. All you had to do, again, all you had to do is just extend the roof and put in another floor.
You're listening to a conversation with Georgia College University architect Michael Rickenbaker about the McIntosh House, which recently won an award for excellence from the Georgia Trust for Historic Preservation. You can see pictures of the McIntosh House on WRGC's Facebook page. And we'll return to this conversation about history, architecture, and preserving a sense of place in just a moment. Now, in in addition to, of course, people's changing aesthetic ambitions, shall we say, use is something that will either, I guess, uh, condemn or save a building. We talked about it just very briefly earlier. Historic preservation is not exactly what we're striving for on this campus. You mentioned something that may be a new term for some people, maybe a similar term for some people, which was uh, adaptive reuse. Thought, uh, could you talk about uh, that idea and the way it's used on this campus. Let's start off by just differentiating it from historic preservation and then talk about how it's used here. Okay, so preservation is a pretty easy one for me is because basically we're maintaining almost as close to its original shape as possible. So that's why Macintosh would fit in the, and, the, and the governor's mansion would fit into that category of restoration. But most of what we do is we're taking buildings that had another purpose and we're going to repurpose them. So in many cases we'll use Ennis Hall as a, as a great example and Terrell and Beeson. These are all projects that were renovations of and adaptive reuses of what once was living spaces, residence halls, they never called them residence halls then, they were dormitories. dormitories that were being repurposed. And so the challenge there is to, one, understand the importance of the historic character of the building and identify those elements. Again, we talked about it a little bit earlier, those elements that we would consider character-defining elements. Those things, stairwells, handrails, ceilings where possible, floors where reusable, the windows. We pride ourselves on reusing our windows. They're, the whole window replacement industry has convinced most Americans that it's important and you're, you're not even, you're not being energy efficient and you're really wasting energy if you, if you preserve old windows. And I would tell you that's probably the opposite is true. You're probably doing a better job by using the ones that you have you might need to reseal them. You may need to caulk around them. In some of our buildings, we actually will put an interior storm that sort of creates enough air between the window and the storm that then begins to create a window that's just as energy efficient as some of the new replacement windows would do. But So we make a very careful inventory of buildings that we are renovating, the buildings particularly that we are doing adaptive reuse where we're changing the function, but we're looking at functions, one, that seem to fit the building well. A good fit would be an office fits really well into what once was a dormitory room. Or 
three dormitory rooms would make a really nice drawing studio or three dormitory rooms would make an excellent editing suite for our communications department. So there, so you find, you want to find fits that are easier to make the building or adapt the building to be able to accommodate. But we also make, an, as I said, a, a, a major task at the very beginning of any of these projects of, of identifying those features in the building that are character defining that we perceive are important to preserve. Adaptive reuse and preservation both together in the early history of adaptation and renovation in this country was rather severe. I would use Atkinson Hall as the, as the example. Everybody wants to say that it's the oldest building on front campus. Well, it is, but only about two feet of it. I mean, it's literally only the exterior wall on three sides that is the original architecture. When that building was restored, they tore everything out of it except and left just the skin and then went back and rebuilt. So if you walk into that building, you say, this looks like a building that was done in the 80s. Well, guess what? It is. This is a building that was redone in the 80s. If you look at the buildings that we're working on now, so I would use Mayfair, Ennis, Beeson, and as soon as we finish it in, a, in, a, in about six months, Terrell, when you walk into those buildings, you're gonna go, this is really a great old building. I mean, you will see that it's really an old building and we have repurposed it. So adaptive reuse to us is taking what we no longer need and turning it into something that is very valuable to the campus. So for Ennis, Ennis was one of the most challenging because we took a building that was a residence hall and put an art department in it. And that is a very, that was more challenging than probably any of the others we've done. Um, in part because we needed large spaces. These dormitories are very traditional. So you have a, what we call a double loaded corridor. So you have a corridor down the middle of the building with dorm rooms on either side. So you want a space that's bigger than one dorm room width and the corridor. So we ended up on one end of the building. As you go into the lobby, if you turn to the left, you will see a gallery. And what we did is we, we celebrated where the hall was. So you now can see there is a clear delineation that the hall used to be here. But we took it out in order to create a gallery space big enough to be able to put the senior capstone shows on every year. So it's a major gallery space. And we did that on three levels in order to create first the gallery on the first floor but on the second floor a painting studio which is a large space and on the third floor our 3d art studio so that was probably the, the biggest challenge that's the one we kind of wrestled the most with sort of the state preservation office but they actually very much appreciated what we did and how we did to celebrate where the hall had been but also sort of celebrating it with the glass on. It's, it's, there's actually glass at the end of the studio space, so it looks on out beyond to the exterior of the building. So we actually still have the same feel as the original building, except you have to walk through a gallery to get to 
the stair at the end of the hall, but you could still tell where the hall used to be and it sort of celebrated. We actually, in that building, we had to take so many sort of the dividing walls between dorm rooms out that when you look at the ceiling, there's a scored line everywhere in the ceiling, a scored line in the, in the sheetrock that shows you where the walls were. So it's just kind of a reminder of what it would have looked like when it was what it was when it was originally built. But in that building too, it's, if you go and walk around the building and look at the floor, it has lovely wooden bases. And people go, well, why didn't you take them up and put new ones down? And we're like, because we wanted to preserve what was there. You can tell they've been cleaned up and painted and restored, but you can see all the kicks and knocks accumulated for a hundred years of being a dormitory. And if you go all the way up to the top, um, the newel post on the stairwells have initials carved in the top and we cleaned them up and painted it and left them. It has that level of character that we preserved. In Ennis, this was particularly interesting is that we left the original doors wherever we could, but even if they no longer open into the space, but they're there and they're part of the looking down the hall, you see them and the newer doors are very clear. We created a way so you could sort of see where the new doors leading into the spaces are versus the older doors that are there just to preserve the character of the hall. It's a fun building. It was a challenging building. Um, it's gotten significant amount of attention in terms of awards as well. It was a building that people said, you can't do this. I wasn't a part of it, but I know from a number of people who were a part of it that there was a sort of a presentation on how this was going to happen, that at, at some state level um, presentation, and it was explained what we were going to do. And this was shortly before I came on board. It's almost as if they were booed off the stage. I mean, they were basically everybody in the room was saying, you were crazy. The only thing to do is tear that old building down and build a new art building. You're delusional if you think you can do this. And we said, and the people that were there said, you know, well, this is really what we're thinking about doing. And so when I got here, fortunately, they had not wavered from that. And so I got here just in time to start with the program. And the original program would have gutted the building and started over. And we took a serious look at that program and said, that's not a good idea. We want to keep as much of the original as possible. So as a part of the program to design that building, we made the conscious decision that we were going to change sort of the approach of gutting it and starting over to preserving as much as possible. Uh, so our, our adaptive reuse is leans heavily to the preservation side versus a lot of other institutions, I would say, may go the other direction where you actually would, would gut as much as possible and start anew as much as possible. We prefer to divert as much from the landfill as possible by reusing as much as possible. You're listening to a conversation with Georgia College University architect Michael Rickenbaker about the Macintosh House. 
which recently won an award for excellence in historic preservation from the Georgia Trust for Historic Preservation. You can see pictures of the Macintosh House on WRGC's Facebook page. And we'll return to this conversation about history, architecture, and preserving a sense of place in just a moment. Turn to this portion of the conversation, University architect Michael Rickenbaker and I change locations to Mayfair Hall, another historic building on the 100 block of South Clark Street in downtown Milledgeville. Let's actually go to our next location, just because I'm worried that this street's getting a little bit busier right now. <laughs> well, I think we should. I think we should just actually walk up on the porch and maybe even walk into one of the spaces. I actually think we should go in the front door of Mayfair. Mayfair is equally as an exciting building. It actually won an award the last year from the Board of Regents Facilities Officers Conference for adaptive reuse. It has an incredible story to tell too. As best we can tell, uh, indication is that the front portion was a house. We all know and there's good records to show that it was a boarding house at some point. We don't have good records on it being a house except we can go back to the Sanborn maps, which were tax maps from the 1800s that would show that probably to here, or maybe at least to this point, was a house that then was expanded to be a boarding house. Of course, house. for people, the, the Mayfair Hall is uh, right at the intersection of Clark and Hancock Streets. And as we're looking at uh, what uh, could be the original uh, structure here, I guess it would be the most eastwardly facing part. And then you, as you're out there, there's a, as you're on Hancock Street, there's a long, you know, um, I guess, uh, a stretch of the facade on that side, and you see a wall jut out just a few feet. And we, so we think from being underneath and looking at the structure that, it, that it's very possible that that was a, an original house and the Sanborn maps tend to make, you don't know what the structure is, but it, we're pretty sure it was a private resident. And we think it's the same footprint, which would mean they probably started and just added on to it instead of, we didn't think it'd be any reason that they would tear down the front and start over. So we're pretty sure that this corner is in the front portion, front portion, the, um, the Clark Street, face, that portion of it is, is one of the oldest buildings and it could rival Macintosh in terms of age, but we're, we think it's a little bit, a little bit older. But still, the boarding capacity became, uh, again, this is another project building that was driven by the fact that across the street or diagonally across the street was a university. It was necessary or a great opportunity to have a boarding house that was in, in immediate proximity to the institution. Well, and of course, everybody want to go inside because, of course, uh, 
the state route right here is notorious for those loud <laughs> trucks that go through. For sure. Uh, uh, but of course, if, if this in fact, I guess maybe the commercial component of this building, thank you, is roughly as... We're doing an interview, so if you don't mind, we're just I'm giving him a tour. If uh, we have audience members who've hung with us throughout our conversation today, and the next time they go out to the Georgia College campus, what would you ask them to go and experience perhaps a new through the conversation that we've had? Is there a place on campus that you like to bring people to or do you think is indicative of the institution itself? I know most people know and love front campus, but I would always offer that that has to be one of the most incredible places on our campus. We are indeed fortunate so many other institutions at some point in their life paved them and turned them into a parking lot. And Georgia College had the foresight to never do that. And so as a result, it is an incredible foreground to what I think are some of the more lovely neoclassical buildings on our campus. I was offered that, you know, a, a walk across front campus is, is is worth it and if you can do it daily you should <laughs> it's just why not I mean it's just it's a fantastic place I would offer that they really need to take and it's particularly good at the end of the semester it's already too late well it'll be the best time will be next time will be in the fall near the end of the fall semester is to visit the Dorothy Leland Gallery in Ennis Hall and see the senior capstone projects. That's where you get a chance to one, see what a wonderful gallery space that building that everyone said we should tear down in order to build an art building. They will get to see that space, but also they can sort of revel in the fantastic work that our art students do. Um, and this is an important milestone in, in their curriculum for them as a senior to put up your work in that gallery um, as a senior, and it's a senior capstone project. And I will tell you the fall is, is and spring both are phenomenal. This last, last two, the work has just been fantastic. So you get to see what our students are doing, and you get to see their work. I would ask you to go by and see the sculpture that we just put up uh, just outside of Beeson Hall. As a, as a part of Beeson's renovation, we we said we really need to identify a place for public art and we, with the support of the foundation to raise the funding to support a sculpture. It's called, uh, I can't remember the exact title. I'm going to need to write that what one down. Was that the Spirit of the Liberal Arts or something? No, she, no, she, it's about wings. Uh, I'll, I will never think of it, but anyway, but it's a great, there's a great little sculpture. It actually moves. And when the wind is when the wind is right, it's gonna it's gonna spin. The whole focus it was all about the fact that this was this was a university that was built as a women's college, and that she kind of earns her wings, or she. This is all about being that sort of that freedom that comes, or that that opportunity that comes with education, and so this is great expression of that on our campus. And it was really driven by the idea you know, Dr. Dorman has that we really need to have our art more in our buildings. Um, I would ask that another great opportunity is to walk into Peabody Auditorium 
to see it renewed. Uh, so many people will remember it as being sort of a relatively uninspiring, dark, and not very kind space. We'll find a very different place there. And it's another place, again, the initiative that Dr. Dorman is has asked us to find places to put our art in display. It is actually a gallery for one of our collections and it's a great, so it's worth sticking your head in, not just to see the, wind, the, the space with the windows returned and the glass block uh, returned to the building so it's, it's come back to life, but to also see the art that's on display there as part of our, as part of our collection. I don't think those are my those are my favorite spots. That's my homework for the tours, for the tour guides in, you know, this week. But, you know, it's, what I would tell you is most special about the building and the campus um, is that it, it is one that doesn't have a back. In a lot of campuses, you'll find a space that is, or spaces in some kind of campuses, multiple spaces that are not particularly inviting. And I would tell you that one thing that's special about Georgia College is if we have those, they are few and far between. We really have a campus that from almost every angle is, is, is incredibly attractive and it's well, well kept. Um, and it's, it's just a beautiful space. So it keeps coming back to front campus and the fact that it kind of is a, a wonderful expression of an institution that uh, is inviting. Um, and it's just, a, it's a lovely space. And it's particularly good also if there's something happening out there like jazz, which happens every, every spring. Um, but there are other reasons to be there. Michael Rickenbacker, I want to thank you for joining me today on Georgia College Connections. Thank you, sir. You just heard a conversation with university architect Michael Rickenbacker about historic preservation on the campus of Georgia College. We spoke on the occasion of Georgia College's Macintosh House receiving an award for excellence in historic preservation from the Georgia Trust for historic preservation. You can go to WRGC's Facebook page to see images of the Macintosh House or take up Michael's challenge and go walk the historic campus of Georgia College and see it for yourself. The Macintosh House is located directly across from Georgia's old governor's mansion on the 100 block of South Clark Street in downtown Milledgeville. On behalf of WRGC, I want to thank you for joining me tonight on another edition of Georgia College Connections. Tonight's program was edited by Jason Ridgely Thornton. I've been your host, Daniel McDonald. Thank you.